0: You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. is Father Mark Boulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature Podcast. Dr. Benton is on vacation again this week, but I am delighted and honored as always, Father Paul, to have you on the program. We have an interesting topic today. We're going to talk about chosenness. Now, for as long as I've been your student, Father Paul, I've known that to be chosen isn't necessarily good news. It's often misunderstood. It's often turned into a kind of triumphalism. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. We're the special guys. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that this has been twisted and abused over the centuries. But I'm really excited to hear you talk today about the question of chosenness and why, in biblical terms, God chose Israel.
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, chosenness is chosenness. It's neither good nor bad a priori. It is just how it appears in the story. Now, again, a couple of caveats for my listeners. You know, I stressed enough in my teaching that the entities in the Bible are literary entities fabricated by the authors. So one should be very careful not to extend, stretch historicity from the text to our own times or the times of our fathers or the coming times. This does not mean that the lesson, because the story is a parable, does not apply to us because that's what you do. For instance, when you are watching a movie, you choose one of the characters and you, if you so will, you relive the experience of that character. Now, the trouble in the Bible, and the Bible, as I keep saying, it's basically trouble (laughs) that God's interest in the scriptural story is in all the nations, and that is very clear already in Genesis 1 through 11. But then later or already in Genesis 12, we have the chosenness of Abram and his lineage. And then later, this lineage is referred to as Israel. And in the law, especially the book of Deuteronomy, we have the stress on the chosenness of this Israel. But within the realm of the entire story, Israel is chosen to prove God's point namely that right from the beginning ha-adam which is the human being in general and thus all the nations disobeys ha-adam disobeys the commandment of God it's very very clear the first commandment in the bible is found in genesis two and God commanded It is written, the Lord God commanded exactly the same words as we will find later with Moses. It's a command that Adam, the human being in general, broke already in the garden. And then outside the garden, all the sons of Adam or the children of Adam break it. But then... In order for God, you know, it's a parable. The way you are talking to human beings or children, you want to prove to them that it is so. What do you do? You choose, by flipping the coin, one of those nations. It is as though God is saying, you really don't believe me that it's the same thing no one of you listens, as the psalm says and Paul repeats in Romans, no one is righteous. All have disobeyed. I'm going to choose one of you, just like that. So you won't say that I am biased, okay? I flip the coin and I choose one. But in the case of this one, we have a very lengthy story. That's why the biblical story is mainly about Israel, the scripture of Israel, and the nations as referred to indirectly. Actually, the nations are summarily dismissed as disobedient. Remember what Paul writes in Galatians. We are Jews and not Gentiles that are under sin, already condemned, because the Gentiles were not given at the beginning the law. So notice the play on the law now that the law was given specifically to Israel exactly as the command in Genesis 2 was addressed specifically to Ha'adam. Obviously, there was no one else but him. But this specificity is the parallel between Ha'adam and Israel. One command to Ha'adam, a bunch of commands to Israel. And I hear it this way that I'm going to choose one of the nations by flipping the coin, and I'm going to give them detailed commandments so that no one would say, well, you didn't say it, we didn't hear about it. And that, for me, is the reason behind the extremely boring list of commandments, lengthy beyond imagination. So again, we have to hear it as literature. I told you, everything, and I delineated what you are supposed to do or not to do at each step. That's why this parable is a hyperbole. It's technically too much. And yet, what makes it even more hyperbolic, these people are all of them, all the time, disobedient. I mean, it's unbelievable. It never happens in reality. You can never have a bunch of people where every one of them is disobedient regarding the commandment of God. It's practically impossible. At least it's stretched to the extreme. Let me jump to the case of Elijah, about whom we are all excited. It is shown that at the end, he faltered and God put him aside and moved to Elisha. Okay, no one listens to God. Then you have David and Solomon and all the other kings and so on and so forth. And then upon the return, we have in chapter 66 in Isaiah, again, the returnees do not listen. That's the name of the game. So that would be the answer to the question you raised. The chosenness of Israel is to show everyone, not only Israel, but all the nations that it wouldn't have mattered as to whom God would have chosen. It doesn't matter. Everyone is disobedient. And this is how the story goes in the Bible. To jump to the New Testament, we all know how Paul is very harsh on the Gentiles. Even before meeting them, he harasses them with the teaching of the Bible that you are going to be disobedient as israel was in the old testament and then watch out friends and his most famous chapter is chapter ten of one corinthians where he engulfs his hearers as having their forefathers having been a part of the people who left egypt under moses and he uses on purpose the word baptized to hit them more closely And you know, they were disobedient and God destroyed thousands of them in one day. So beware Gentiles, you are no better. And I'm going to make another jump. You know how the Christians always view themselves as the new Israel, assuming that now we are the elect. But what they forget is once you put yourself in this position of being elect, You are under the power of God's commandment, and it seems that you're going to fail. So watch out, and you have to make the effort not to fail. You have to learn, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, from that story. Remember twice he uses the word types, typicos, which means examples for us to learn the lesson. I would like to read very quickly Deuteronomy chapter 7, where you have the entire thesis. But again, one has to be careful to hear it in its entirety, not by bits and pieces. And it goes like this, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you are entering to inherit it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and so on and so forth. Seven nations greater and mightier than yourselves. So in the first verse, we hear that God eliminated those nations. It's not that Israel went into a land where there was no one, as the modern state of Israel speaks about the Palestinians. (laughs) No, there were people there. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them. Then you must utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. Let's continue. We can't stop here because after the Deuteronomy, we have Joshua. You shall not make marriages with them, giving your daughters, and so on. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So the real battle is between God and and the other gods of the nations as was the case in egypt then the anger of the lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly but thus shall you deal with them you shall break down their altars dash in pieces their pillars hew down their asherim and turn their graven images with fire notice The ultimate intention, is destroyed any sign of ungodliness, for you are people, holy to the Lord. And then in verse 7, I would like all my listeners to remember, it's easy, Deuteronomy 7, 7, let me repeat it, Deuteronomy 7, 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. That's of the essence. It is already in Exodus twice, chapter 3 and chapter 6. I'm doing this not because of your fathers, but because of the oath I took to your fathers. So it was a decision that started with Abram in Genesis 12 after the faltering of all the nations between Genesis 1 and Genesis 11. And then we hear, very important, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful who keeps, and he is love, those who love him and keep his commandments, to a thousand generations. But notice the following verse 10. And requiets to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with him who hates him, and he will requite him to this face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes, and the ordinances which I command you this day. And then again, that God will love them, and through them all the people, but should they falter, then he is going to strike them. And then, if we continue, because this is how one is to listen to the Bible, we notice later that... In the first half, roughly, of the book of Joshua, Joshua destroys, we have the impression that he destroyed all the nations, and then suddenly at the end and at the beginning of Judges, we hear, yet he left a few nations to test Israel, which means Israel is thrown into Canaan, which is the Canaan of the ten nations, which means of all the nations. They are not entering into a void. Let me put it this way to my listeners. Suppose God tells you, look, I destroyed all the nations, all ten nations from this area because they did not listen to my commandments. They disobeyed me. They were unfaithful. And that's the rule in this land and look I'm gonna give it to you as a gift now think about it for two minutes would you accept his gift obviously not you would be stupid if he would accept his gift he's telling you that everybody in this piece of land sinned and I'm going to put you in their stead I mean a regular person you don't need to be extra smart will understand that this is a trap but then in the Bible <laughs> You have no choice because it's the author that is writing the story. You see, I like it when people say, were I really in the Garden of Eden, I would not have done what Adam did. Are you kidding me? Then we would not have had a story and the Bible. No, you have to hear the story and beware. You don't like it, then follow the stories of the other gods and how many times God repeats this in the Bible. He doesn't care if you leave him because it's your loss. So we can see that this offer that you can't refuse is a offer linked to the test, reflects exactly what happened to Adam in the garden. And God made Adam out of the ground, and he also planted a garden in this ground. And he put Adam in this garden. And very obviously, the river becomes the four rivers that encompass the world. You could see it's the entire world. And yet, very quickly, very quickly, there is, and let me say it bluntly, a silly command. A silly command. You have all those trees, and God tells you, do not eat from that tree, which is the tree of the knowledge of the good and the evil which is precisely the work the duty of a judge only the judge knows ultimately the difference between the good and the evil and the only judge in the bible is god and that message meant to adam remember you can think of yourself any which way you want but remember that you are not the lord elohim i am the only lord elohim and you are bound to obey my commandments and i arrived to the point which with i started as reaction we say but you know is it not possible that at least one clan or one person would be totally obedient and the answer is no And that is why in Isaiah we have the projection of hope of someone at one point that would be totally obedient and who will not open his mouth even when in Isaiah 53 verse 10 we hear that it was the will, actually in the original Hebrew, the good pleasure, technically The whim of the Lord to bruise him. Fantastic texts. And we all know, or at least we should know, how difficult that was when we hear the story of Jesus at Gethsemane. He almost slipped to ask the Almighty to take this test away from him, but luckily again according to the story he realized that it's an impossibility and he prayed his prayer thy will be done and not mine so that would be i believe the chosenness of israel expressed in such a hyper lengthy story unending and then in the new testament We hear after the story of Jesus, how in the book of Acts and in letter after letter, the voice of God through his chosen apostle telling the people, watch out, watch out, you're not doing the right thing. And that is the offer and the ultimate answer to that for those who wish to accept it is that Salvation is through the love of God that persists in spite of everything. The last chapter of my book on purpose was entitled The Faithfulness of God's Word. Okay, This is where you put your trust in God's Word, which is not only a word of promise, but it is also and primarily a word of commandment which means that you have to be the slave of this one master. And remember in the Gospels, one cannot serve two masters, simply because in the Roman Empire, you can't be the slave of two masters. It's an impossibility, okay? That's why your master would not accept it and destroy you and consider it as being a betrayal. Anyway, I put it in as few words as possible. But again, to argue philosophically a la Plato with my statement would be a loss of time. My listeners should try to read or better hear the Bible and see whether this fits. Again, whether they like it or not doesn't make much difference. It's a thesis. It's a proposition.
0: Listening to you talk about chosenness. I can't help but think of the name Saul because it just feels like the whole Bible is a demonstration of giving the people what they're asking for. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You want chosenness? Okay, I'm going to give you chosenness. You want to be the exceptional case? I'll make you the exceptional case. And I'll show you what it means to be exceptional. I mean, it's impressive the way in which the Bible traps you And shows you the folly of what you want.
1: And since you mentioned Saul, it's very interesting that we the Christians should always remember that the one who is talking to us the most in the New Testament is Saul. Here you go. (laughs) But the touch of grace that he is presented to us as the little one, Paulus, Paul, that God belittled from Saul to Paul. You know, it's powerful. I'm mentioning this only because you brought up the name of Saul. And it allowed me to push ahead for my listeners, inviting them to realize that one is to hear again and again and again the full story, preferably in its original, to really get to the meat. Remember that ad about the meat, about the burger. Where is the meat? The trouble is that we expect to see the meat in a small burger, but the Bible (laughs) is a huge burger. (laughs) The meat is all over the place, scattered, and that's the way it is. But it's interesting. You brought the story. It's really, and that's my thesis in my book, powerfully constructed. It's a made-up story. I mean, it cannot be otherwise. It's so perfect. Remember in the classroom, I used to tell all of you that the creation of God is never perfect because it's natural, is nature. The creation of man is perfect, which is mathematics. But biology is not perfect. <laughs> biology irritates you time and again because it is what it is. That's why one has to watch very, very carefully, not to give oneself as a good example. Bad example, by all means, with my blessings. But don't you ever, ever give yourself as a good example. Just eliminate from your phraseology the supposedly good things you have done. You know, it's like files. Put on the file of your good things. Taboo, not to be opened. It's hyperviral. Open only the other document. <laughs> To tell the people, look, I'm telling you, do not go down that road and let me give you myself as an example. <laughs> and you have it again in the preamble of Psalm 78.
0: Well, this is what chosenness is. I mean, Israel is an example of sin. And the way that you're talking about only opening the file that has your shortcomings, I mean, Scripture is a shortcut for everybody. Yes. It's presenting you a scenario in which everybody screws up and look what happens. So why don't you live vicariously through their sin and understand what happens if you don't listen and then choose a different path?
1: In the hope that God would bring you to the ultimate step on this path, that's very important. It's not that you get there. And here I would ask my listeners to read carefully Philippians chapter one, the first 13 verses very important. He said, hopefully the one who started a good work with you will bring it to the end. That also is very important. It is not, I sinned and then I repent and God forgives me. No, in the Bible, you sin, God forgives you. That's why you repent to a new life. Otherwise, and we know it from other experience, you keep going back and forth to confessing your sin and you repeat them. That's what I see in my own life and in the lives of the people around me. And it's okay. You see, the Protestants have this. We were forgiven already our sins, even those which we shall commit in the future. Are you kidding me? (laughs) No. You cannot play God. His word is is his word, not yours. He gives you the opportunity, you sin. He forgives you, you repent. And here again, the magisterial Matthew has his unique parable of the servant who was indebted and whose debts were erased by his master. We all should know the rest of the story. And that's the way it is.
0: Fantastic, Father. Listen, thank you very much. Thank this you, thank you, Father Mark. Such, such a pleasure, and it's really helpful always to take a step back and just hear you talk about the big picture. Always appreciate it, Father. Thanks thank so you much. very much, Mark. The Bible as literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.